Can I can I be honest with you? Um, one of the things that, as I have witnessed and watched, ministers come before a pulpit. There's there's some what I don't like is I don't like a guy who gets up in front of a crowd and he's given the word of God and he said, "Okay, preach from the word of God." And he goes and he goes off for half an hour, 45 minutes on sports. Don't like that. Um, I think if you get the Word of God, preach the Word of God. So this morning, first thing I'm going to talk to you about is sports. No. <laughs> no. Oh, well. No, anyways, um, here, here's my point. And I'll get to, to, this is just an illustration, and I'm not going to spend too long on sports this morning. Uh, today, I want to talk about having confidence because you know the Lord. And when you are surrounded by the enemy, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, since I was 13, 12, 13, I fell in love with the game of basketball. And my dad played basketball with me about four out of five nights a week when it wasn't basketball season. Didn't you, Dad? That's what we did. And I thank him for that. Good dad. Very good dad. Always there to listen. Always there to spend time with me. He's a good dad. And um, I fell in love with basketball. And right now, I've got a favorite team. And they've been my favorite team for a little while. And it seems like I, the kids at school, when I say I like this team, say, Mr. Wilson, you're just a bandwagon uh, hopper. And I understand it. But I really enjoy, the, you may have heard about them, the Golden State Warriors. They've won the last couple years, and I've enjoyed them. You want to know the reason I, I, I liked them? And I wouldn't say that that's my favorite team. I just like this team right now. It's because I heard this. Out of all the teams in the NBA, they are the team that the chapel service before their games is the fullest. I thought that was pretty neat. It's got a bunch of guys on the team that before they go out, they, they meet and they love Jesus Christ and they get on there. Now, at the same time, I've been watching them and they're on a stage in front of millions of people. And sometimes they argue with the referees and I'm sitting here going, you're, you're supposed to, you know, don't do this. You shouldn't be doing this. But the reason I brought them up is because... None of us can relate to the exact situation that's going on in 2 Kings chapter 6. None of us have been in a situation where we were trapped, stuck in a city, and there was apps, you know, to walk outside of that city meant certain death. And getting food meant eating your children and doves dropping, and a donkey's head. Um, I know that some of us have been in terrible, terrible situations, whether that be in the military or here in America or something, but not to the point of 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, this is one of the worst things that's ever happened. And I can't relate to this. Some of you can relate a lot better than I can who have fought in uh, wars and have seen combat and stuff, but still, this is just... And to have someone say to you, 
by this time tomorrow, I want your head. Uh, that's something I can't, I can't relate to. But as I was thinking about that, I've heard the last two games that the, these Warriors have played in. They have been down a lot, losing by 15, 20 points. And they say, oh, it's over. They're going to lose tonight in two games in a row. They came out after halftime, and they got the ball, and they, they came back, and they won. But the, the thing, the thing, the reason that I'm going to put it into the context today is that when I was listening to what they said this morning about, about them, they said, these guys are champions. They have won three championships the last couple of years. And when the opponents come and they get them down, they know that they can win, and they have confidence in their championship pedigree, and they can come back and they can get the victory. And I say, okay, that I can understand. And I look at Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 32 to chapter 7 and verse 2, and everything looks hopeless. If there was ever a situation that looked hopeless, this was it. There is no one coming to the rescue. There is no aid coming. And they, their lives look like they are done. And then on top of that, the people within the walls of the city begin to turn on each other, and the king is turning his sword against Elisha. And Elisha is confident. Confident in his victory. Confident in his God. Everything is stacked against this guy. And his confidence is amazing. And I just want to, this morning, I really want to look at, and kind of the idea, I, I admire Elisha. There are so many times I feel that felt in my life that I've been able to picture myself as Elijah under the juniper tree. But in contrast to that, we see Elisha, who in a similar situation to Elijah, stands up with confidence. And let's read this passage of scripture, starting in 2 Kings chapter 6, in verse 32. It says, but Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before, before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was a messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour 
shall be sold for a shekel, and two seals of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king lead answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. As I read that passage of scripture right there, I see a man who knew the Lord, knew that God had provided victories for him. He had been down and out before. We've been looking at this guy for a while, and he's had all kinds of tests and trials and situations thrown his way, thrown his way, thrown his way. And he has relied on the Lord over and over again. He had confidence in God, and he stood on that confidence of God because he had seen God at work. And now when the trials and the situations come, he knows exactly what to do. And the first thing that he does is he prophesies with power before the messenger came to him. Um, could, could you imagine uh, what confidence in the Lord this guy had? It says he was sitting in the house and the, the elders were sitting with him. And the king had sent a man before him. But before the messenger came to him. I love that phrase. He had such confidence that God was going to get through it. And God had given the response that before the enemy comes, he's already relying on the Lord. Before the situation happens, he, he already knows that God is going to take care of this. Can I tell you something? Maybe you're in the midst of a situation like the people in this city. And you feel surrounded on every side. You can have confidence that you have a God that is going to carry you through it. Maybe life is pretty good right now. You're feeling the blessings of the Lord and, and God is doing wonderful things. Can I tell you? There's probably coming a time where you're going to be surrounded by the enemy. Friends are going to turn on you. And things are going to be go downhill. Before that happens, have your confidence in the Lord. Trust in Him that on the other side of this, He will carry you through. Elisha was spiritually in tune with what was going on that before the king's messenger could even get there, he told everybody exactly what was going on. I, I think about people who try to predict the future. Um, I talked about that basketball game, and this morning I was interested in that basketball game. And they said, there was one person here who thought they were going to pull this off. One person out of all these guys. You know what? The sports guys, they get stuff wrong all the time. And that's just over a silly game, a foolish game. And they let them off the hook for that. The weatherman, he tries to predict the future all the time. And how's that work out for him? You know, 
people that talk about the future, the way things are, are going to go and the trends and stuff. They get things wrong all the time. But the man, a man of God, a, a person of God says, can say, if this happens, watch what God will do. Could you imagine? This Elisha was so spiritually in tune with the Lord that he knew the trials were coming before they even did, and, and he knew that God would carry him through them. Today, as we're sitting here, trials are going to come. You're going to face them. But before they get there, can you sink your confidence in God that he will get you through to the other side? We need to make sure, if we are going to do that, we need to make sure that if we are going, I'm not saying, I am not saying that these problems are going to be easy. I am not saying that they're not going to come. I am not saying that they are not going to be difficult. I'm just saying we need to be prepared in the best preparation that we can do before these trials come. Oh, and in the midst of these trials is to begin to have a close, is to work on a close relationship with God. A close relationship with God. I open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65, verses, verse 24. Isaiah chapter 65, and verse 24. says, It shall come to pass, that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will heal, hear them. I understand. I know the context of this verse. At the end of the book of Isaiah, we are talking about a, a future relationship with Christ beyond the age in which we are living in. But as I look and as I, I think about Elisha's life, and I think about our life, we need to make sure that if we're going to face these trials and the temptations that will come and the tests, we need to do it with a close personal relationship with Him, with God, that we talk to Him and that He talks to us. And can I, can I, can I just say something? If we face trials, testings, and temptations, and things are afflicting us, that is not a measuring stick by, you know, talking about how close we are to God. I think of John chapter 9. When Jesus and the disciples come to this blind man, and the question is asked, who sinned that this man has been, has been born blind? This man or his parents? Jesus' response is, not about, this isn't about sin. He was born blind so God could get the glory. If you are doing your devotions every morning and you're praying to God every day and you've got a close personal relationship with God, you're still going to end up in situations like Elisha did. As a matter of fact, you might even get a target on your back. 
God is the person that we can rely on. He's the person that we can put confidence in during those times. And so now, before they, these things happen, is a time for us to begin having that close personal relationship. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, in relationship to Elisha. The king's coming. He's sending somebody to, to take off Elisha's head. And, oops, I passed it, didn't I? No, I don't have it up there. Oh, yeah, I do, right there. Elisha is not impressed. He's not impressed. The king is so, sending somebody to cut off his head. And this all-powerful king, and Elisha, in verse 32, it says, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away the head, my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? Elisha's like, let's take care of this. Let's get this off. I, I'm not worried. I, that's confidence. That's If someone was coming, I, I'm telling you right now, if someone came in the door and they said, so, Pastor Scott, someone's coming to cut your head off. My knees are going to be knocking. And, and, and the first reaction, and I said this so many times, the first reaction of me is going, what I would want to do is I'd want to bolt out that door. And I think if we're being honest, that's what every single one of us would want to do. Run out of the door as fast as possible. The only way that Elisha did this, stood up to his enemies, his Holy Spirit was right here giving him power. I know it. And he prophesied in the power of God. And he stood up to his enemy. And his power came because he knew God. And he had spent time with God. And he had seen that God was faithful. There's a couple of people uh, that remind me of this story. Of someone who knew that all, all power, any enemy that could stand against them, if there's anything that they could do, the only power that they had would it, was if God gave it to them. They knew God. So the king, the whoever it was that stood before them, that thought they had power, had no power unless God gave it to them. And they knew that they were immortal until God said it's their time on earth to be done. And so they could stand in confidence. The first person I think of that I kind of admire with his confidence in God is Paul as he stands before King Agrippa. Uh, Paul, what a man. He was another guy. He'd spent time with Jesus Christ. He knew God. He loved God. And so the people, kings, did not impress him. He'd stand up and he would be counted as for, for being belonging to Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 29, it says, And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all you who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these change, chains. Paul says, King Agrippa, I'm standing here before you. I want to tell you my story. And I wish that you would be in the place where I am and you knew Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Because you think that being a king might be a great and awesome thing with all the power and pomp and circumstance that comes with it. But what I've got in my relationship with the Lord is so much better. 
And I'd ra- this is one of the themes of my last year of my life. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Than to be the king of a vast domain. I know God, and you don't impress me. The other person I, I think of is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ was not impressed by kings. and I, I could just read Jesus' interaction with Pilate again and again and again. It wasn't Pilate who struck fear into Jesus that day. It was Jesus who struck fear into the king that day. He was bloody. He was beaten. He was bruised. But the king left impressed by the God of this world. Even in that lowly state that he subjected himself to. In John chapter 19 and verse 11, Jesus says to Pilate, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. I love those words of Jesus. You could have no power, Pilate, against me unless it had been given to you from above. Remember, as you face those terrible, troublesome situations, as the enemy has you surrounded and things are not going good, your God is greater He is more powerful, and there's nobody on this world that can touch you unless God allows them to. And if he does, have confidence that that same God that led you into the trial will lead you out of the trial, and that he will use that for his greater good. Keep your mind and your life focused on him. God is good. As I, as I continue to read this passage of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 6, and I get to verse 33, I see that the king blames God. The king blames God. And as I, I look around the world, I see a lot of people who when trials and troubles come and things don't go exactly the way they want, and their world, their kingdom comes crashing down, there's a lot of people who blame God. There's also a lot of people who give credit to God when things go right. But there are a lot of people who don't want to say anything good about God unless things are going bad, and then they blame God. As I take a look at and as I compare Elijah and Elisha, this is one of the things that I have to do today. I have to compare Elijah to Elisha. I I believe it's a must. And I think we need to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we need to carefully read 1 Kings 19, then come back to 2 Kings chapter 6. In 1 Kings chapter 19, in verse 1, it says, And Ahab 
told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, kind of, I'm going to keep my hand there, and I'm going to flip over to 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, You see how this man, this son of a murderer, has sent someone to take my head. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And, the king, and then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? As I look at, I flip back and forth. I see two guys. The most mixed up guys in the Bible. How many times do people say Elijah and they think Elisha and they think Elisha and they say, hard to keep the two guys straight, right? Their names are like so the same. As a matter of fact, whenever I've had a student named Elijah, I always call him Elisha. Whenever I've had Elisha, I've always called him Elijah. Always. Whenever there's been a kid like that, I've always done that. doesn't matter which way, I'll do it. But I see two different guys. And I'd like you to consider yourself today. If, it, if it's me in my flesh, I find, and I'd like you to be honest with yourself, I find myself, 1 Kings chapter 19, in and of my own power. I've said that and I've thought that for a long time. And I've challenged myself. I've said, God, will you help me to go from being 1 Kings chapter 19 to 2 Kings chapter 6? Lord God, I want to see you at work in my life. I want to acknowledge what you're doing. And I want to, like Elisha, Stand up and have confidence and not be impressed by man because I know my God. Was Elijah a man of God? Oh yeah, the Bible has a lot to say about Elijah. The New Testament, you look at him, he's a hero of the faith. And that's, that's been something that's been huge for me as I studied this guy. God took him to heaven in a chariot of fire. He did awesome stuff. He did brave things for God. But he also has this moment when he ran for his life from a flea. I'd like to stand. I want to be second. I want to change my life. And I want to 
when the trials come, I want to stand for God in front of a king. Because I'm not impressed by men because I know my God and what he is capable of, and so I'll stand for him. I'd like you to be honest and see if that's some change that you'd like to make. As we continue to go on in this passage of Scripture, Elijah, in the face of the enemy, and when he makes a stand for God, the first thing is he, that he does is he becomes a voice of hope. As you see there in, in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 7, it says, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a Shiah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two Shiahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Remember, remember last week, we were talking about the enormous price for the head of a donkey to eat. And we all started going, ugh, gross. So then, he says, today, today it's all-you-can-eat buffet for $20 for the whole family. That sounds like a whole lot better deal than it does last week, doesn't it? That's the grace of God. If last week, if you sat here and um, I turned your taste buds off. I'd like to turn your taste buds back on this week. Picture the all-you-can-eat buffet for the whole family for 20 bucks. How, how many of you, if you could take the whole family for 20 bucks, the all-you-can-eat buffet down at, what's the, what's the place down in Landcat? Shady Maple, right? For 20 bucks, the whole family. How many are going with me afterwards? <laughs> Sign up for God's grace. Because it's greater than that. When we're in the midst of famine, God is going to open the heavens to us. He has hope in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of heartaches. The Bible calls it in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 7, the exceeding riches of His grace. I love Ephesians chapter 2. And in verse 7 it says that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If you feel like one of the children of Israel and you're surrounded on every side and you feel like you're starving, pray for God's grace. Stand up in confidence that your God will carry you through this. And when He opens the heavens and pours out His grace, He'll do it abundantly. Next verse that I have up there, you can put it in your notes. I'm not going to have us go there because we've already read this verse today and you're supposed to be memorized. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. The abounding grace of God. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, in all things, might have all sufficiency for every good work. 2 Corinthians 
a verse worth putting right here in your heart and living and knowing. The greatest hope of the world is the presence of vibrant faith-filled believers in the midst of the world. If we are going to live for God, we need to have the hope that comes with grace. Elisha begins to open the veils to the truth of the situation. The truth is, is that in the midst of trials, God's grace shines brightest. In the midst of the heartaches and, and cares of this world, what he's done on the cross will change your life the most. But then there's somebody who, uh, who wants to criticize it. The, if, he's, if Elisha is the voice of hope, someone else stands up and is the voice of judgment. He said, if God would open the heavens and just dump stuff, I don't believe it. I don't believe that this would happen. Don't, don't you think it's so... Unbelievers can be so arrogant sometimes. Those who don't believe in God, uh, those who want to reject Him, they, they can be so proud and so excited about their unbelief. But unbelief, the problem with that is unbelief catches up with you eventually when the truth is made told. And that's the case for this man who stands up and says, no way, this can never happen. God can't do that. Well, be careful. If you're sitting here and you're in the midst of problems and you're saying, you're saying, God, God can't bless me. He, his grace is not bigger than this problem. Watch out. You want to be on the receiving end of God's grace. Don't be unbelieving. Don't let your faith lack. God is good. And he'll, he'll bless you immensely. Look, look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19 says. It says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. The unbelievers can think whatever they want, but the truth of the matter is, is that God provides His grace. His grace to the world. His grace in the lives of the believers. And the Bible tells us that, that even God's grace even falls to those who don't believe Him here in this world. They experience The sun comes up every morning for them too, right? Beautiful weather outside today. God just didn't like park that over First Baptist Church of Fort Crane for us to enjoy. If He did, we wouldn't be living in Binghamton. But anyways, um, <laughs> this is this story, this this voice of judgment, is the natural man doing exactly what is natural. The people outside of these doors, when they hear us talk about God's grace, His goodness, and the things that God is doing for them, for us doing for us and the blessings that he's given us. He says, that's just, you know, you Christians, you just... a Christian knows the difference. A follower in Jesus Christ know that God's grace is exactly what the Bible provides. It carries them through. And it is sufficient for the hard times. And it is a blessing to carry you through. And it does forgive sins and it does change lives. 
That is the grace of God. God is good. And when people don't are on the outside and they say, they're just doing what comes naturally to them. We're in 1 Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 14, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are, they are spiritually discerned. They don't understand, because they don't have the Holy Spirit opening their eyes to the truth and showing them what's happening. So today, there are two groups of people sitting here. There are believers in Jesus Christ. And to you believers in Jesus Christ, this is what I have for you. I have, if you can relate to 1 Kings chapter 19 like I do, and you feel that if someone were to come in and say, Trials and problems are coming. The queen wants your head by tomorrow. You want to run as fast as possible. Pray to God that he'll give you the confidence and courage of Elisha to face those trials head on. Pray that he will do that. Because I believe that the thing that, changed, that made the change in Elisha is that he knew God and the king no longer impressed him. And his confidence is when seeing what God was faithful to do. The second person I want to talk to today is the unbeliever. If you are here today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you would, you would say like this person in 2 Kings chapter 6, I don't believe that God can do that. I don't believe that God can pour out His grace through the hard times in life. I don't... I don't Believe what all you Christians are saying. I'd like you to, to say, try it. Accept Jesus Christ. Yield your life to Him. There is testimony of person after person after person in this room who would say, God's grace is enough. Amen. The power of Christ will change your life. Hebrews chapter 2, a verse that we read just a little bit ago in our scripture reading, it says, do not neglect so great a salvation. That's the last passage of scripture I want to read today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, it says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels Proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also, bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. I know trials are going to come tomorrow, this week, next week, and some of them are going to be more than I can bear. But I've got the grace of God in my life. If you're facing trials and situation and you don't know Jesus Christ, I worry for you, just like I worry for this gatekeeper and what's going to happen to him next week. 
And I worry for you if you don't have Christ on your side. And I beg you, I plead with you today. Don't neglect so great a salvation. The grace of God is available and He just wants to pour out the blessings of His grace, of His forgiveness to carry you through the hard times. In John chapter 20, Jesus met with Thomas. And he showed him the, the nail prints in his hand. And he said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believe. There's the proof. The proof is sitting here today. And we as a church body, we, tell, we beg you as a church family, we want to see Christ change your life. We're praying for you. We'll be there with you. We'll support you through this journey. But if you don't know Christ, let today be the day of salvation. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for the way you open the heavens, the way you pour out your grace. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your great salvation that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, to spread grace to the world. And Lord, I pray for those who are having a difficult time this morning. They need grace. They need you to pour out the life that you purchased for them on Calvary. Lord, I pray that you might work on people's hearts this morning. If there's one person here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.